Great to see you all here this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 14. So these are our verses from God's Word to get us started this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that your word is alive and it's active and that it penetrates and it divides the thoughts, the emotions, that discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And we pray, God, that it do its intended work there within us this morning. Uh, We just yield and surrender uh, our lives to you, God, our thoughts to you this morning Help us to not get distracted, but help us just to tune in to everything that you have already readied for us this morning, and that we would be obedient to that. And Father, we just thank you for the goodness and the kindness and the love and the mercy that you have shown us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we come to you asking these things in his name. Amen. All right. So... Good morning, everybody. We are in back into the book of Philippians, and uh, I'm excited to be here today. I just want to give a shout out to Owen for last week for stepping up last minute. I got sick, woke up feeling a little sick Saturday morning, and about 3 o'clock took a nap, and uh, almost 5 o'clock I think I woke up and I felt like I had the full-fledged flu, and body was aching, um, just high fever, and so uh, I tried not to, um, I was being pretty prideful I guess the wife ended up calling Jody and said hey can you have Owen call Ray he's <laughs> my my plan was to come over here you know stay in the back room come out teach and then leave out and kind of hide out but uh, it didn't work so I don't I think I'd still be there kind of hurled over the uh the computer trying to study still so I'm thankful for my wife for I guess putting me in my my place there so thank you babe so but anyways, it was humbling to me. I couldn't say no, right? And so I appreciate Owen for stepping up and, and taking, uh, 
uh, you know, pushing me, pushing back and not letting me teach. Uh, but I felt so bad because it was a last minute change. But again, that's what we're designed to do, right? We're supposed to be ready always to give an answer for the hope that's in us. And I thank you, Owen, for, you know, living that to us last weekend. And so I'm here today. We're going back into the book of Philippians. I hope you guys uh, um, uh, got to see the value of our vision and values. And uh, I pray that uh, you hold us accountable to these as we are going to do our best to use those as the guardrails to guide our church because that's what we believe that God has called us to do um, for uh, Carlsbad Bible Church. So again, just thank you for that. Um, let's go to Philippians real quick. Well, not real quick. We're going to be there for all the rest of the morning. But just to recap, an introduction here. So remember, Paul <clears throat> is in prison. He's chained up. And uh, he's in Rome, and this is the last epistle that Paul has written. And um, here we are um, in chapter 2. But if you go back to 1, we see that he is full of joy. He has joy, right? And, he, and then you go back to the, or from verse 12 forward, we see the progression of the gospel. There are some out there who are preaching um, even in envy and strife, but Paul is still content that the uh, gospel is, is being preached. Okay, so as long as the gospel is being progressed, Paul has been okay with that. And then uh, we get to chapter 2, and then we, we are presented with the humility and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Um, and we see in verse 8 that he is found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the so that the, at the same at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Okay, so we see Christ as a prime example of humility, but Paul takes it a step further, and he says, "Look, not only can Christ be an example, but also there are people that can be an example." But this kind of goes against the gut feel, at least for me, um, you know, um, in a way you're, as a Christian, you're like, Christ is the bar, Christ is the bar, Christ is the example, we are to have a Christ-like mind, we are to uh, seek after Christ, have Christ-likeness, not I, but Christ who lives with me, everything is Christ, right? And it's typically looking at it from a relationship perspective between us and Christ. Well, here, Paul is telling us that it's okay to look to the right and to the left and to our peers and to see if there's any Christ likeness there. And so we're going to take a look at that today. And so not only are we going to see humility found in Christ, or not only have we done that, but now we are going to see it in mankind as an example, not as the, the standard, but as an example. But <clears throat> And so we look at Christ's humility, right? So we see the humility of Christ. And then um, in the verses, I'm going to go, we're going to overlap a little. I think we ended at verse 18. And I am going to go from 17 through 30. So we have a lot of text today. So hopefully you guys brought your lunch, right? So being sick last week and today I have two sermons to give to you. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, so it's a very simple, very quick. And again, we're focusing on men who are um, examples of Christ, okay? And it's a challenge to us to um, um, evaluate ourselves. So, all right. So Paul has revealed to us 
the greatest example of humility, right? This humility, this lowly of mind is found, like we said, in no other than Jesus Christ. Although He is God and we are just mere mortals, men can be examples of exhibiting the mind of Christ as well. Here in our text, we will see three examples of men who exhibited the mind of Christ. They are Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Uh, one commentator says, this, I thought this was really cool, he says, if Christ is the sun, like the sun in, in the sky, then these three are moons reflecting the glory of the sun. They are lights in a dark world, right? So their glory, their shine does not come from themselves, but from Christ himself, okay? I thought, thought that was interesting. So he says, if Christ is the sun, then these three are moons reflecting the glory of the sun. They are lights in the dark world, Okay. We also see in the book of Hebrews, if we look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, we don't have to go there, but we see men and women, they are examples due to their faith, okay? Some people call this the hall of faith, right? And you'll see these examples of men and women that have been given to us to look at uh, as examples as well. So this is not a odd idea to look at men and, and use them and see them as examples of Christ's likeness, of their faith, okay? We see in 1 Corinthians, let's go there real quick because we're going to spend a few minutes here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> when I think of men following men, these are the verses that come to my mind, so I had to go back and reevaluate them. So we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 10 through 17, we see people fighting because they're being divided, uh, or they're dividing themselves by human leaders, okay? So Paul says, now, in verse 10, I exhort you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind that same mind, and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Okay? Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the threshold of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not in wisdom of word, so that the cross of Christ would not be made empty. So you see these divisions. People were following people. And that was creating a problem. And if you flip over one page, let's go to chapter 3. <clears throat> chapter 3, we look at verse 2, 2 through 7. He says, I give you milk to drink, not solid food, okay? Remember, the book of First and Second Corinthians was written to this church, and they're being chewed out in every chapter. They're being corrected by something, Okay, it's not a lovey-dovey, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's get married kind of conversation. That's actually a chewing as well. When we read those in marriages, they're kind of taking them out of context as well. But anyways, chapter 3 here, he's getting on to them. He says, I gave you milk to drink, 
not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Okay, so I'm giving you the simple things because you can't handle the meatloaf, the meat, the steak, right? Even now you are still not able. It says, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed even as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Men and women of the faith are just planters and what waterers, right? But the one we need to seek after and follow is Christ, the one who gives the growth, God who causes the growth, okay? And then I'll turn your page one more time to chapter 4. It says, but in the very next chapter, after telling them that they are wrong following men because they are causing division, then he tells them the opposite, okay? 1 Corinthians 4.14 and forward. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul had a passion for these people, right? He's trying to correct them. He's giving them... Uh, uh, correction for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ these are tutors now he's trying to change the way they approach these people if you were to have countless tutors in Christ yet you would not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel so now rather than following people he's talking about spiritual people okay therefore I exhort you to be imitators of me what? He's just chewing them out for saying they're of him. Now he's saying, be imitators of me, right? For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and who will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So we see this. Paul has, in a sense, changed his tune. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with looking up to man. In fact, we see in 1 John that there are fathers in Christ. We, we, when we studied that, we saw that. But that's exactly how we should look upon these people in our life, as fathers and not pack leaders. That's the difference, okay? We should look at these people as spiritual fathers but not pack leaders. And what do you mean by that, Ray? Well, <clears throat> when you look at them as a pack leader, then we create division. We create teams. We create groups. We create a division. I'm of... I'm of Owen, I'm of Barry, I'm of Ray, right? We don't want that. We are of Christ, but these are men that God has given us to help us grow, and we, will, we can benefit each one of you in different ways depending on the gifts that the Lord has given us for the church. So when you look at them as pack leaders, then we have division. I can tell you that through my li- throughout my life, I've had many fathers in the faith that have taught me truths. Okay, I've had fathers from the radio that I listened to. I've listened to faithful men preaching over the years. I've had men in my local church that have guided me and taught me and uh, molded me into the man I am today. I've had friends uh, as well that, uh, um, that I never went to church with, but that have mentored me and shaped me to the person I am today. And, uh, and that's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. That's exactly what we need. We need that community 
not just in the local church, but we need it from the universal perspective. I have many friends and family who don't go to this church that I seek counsel with. Um, <clears throat> so again, we see that. So I have, I have even disagreed with some of them on certain positions they, they may have taken. Um, I've even seen some of these men that I looked up to, that I looked at as my spiritual fathers, make mistakes, and some of them even fall, okay? But because I am running the race next to them and not looking at them, then the mark is Christ. The mark is Christ. I seek after Christ, and when somebody stumbles next to me that I, I hold high, then I can pick them up, right? I can pick them up and continue running the race, you know, if, if I'm allowed to. And I've seen some very high-level men fall into temptation. Uh, I've seen them fall into this critical race theory. I've seen them fall into wokeness. I've seen them fall into these new things that are filtrating the church, things that are demonic. But I pray for them. And some of them have come out of it and recanted their beliefs. But again, I always reapproach them with caution because that I see that as a sign of a lack of discernment, right? Something happened that caused them to get derailed. But again, um, uh, they are still, I still consider them my spiritual fathers. Um, <clears throat> so I have, even, I have learned, see, yes, I have, I have learned to even, oh yeah. So I put here, I have learned to even love these teachers because of the proclamation of the truth and the passion they have for God's word. So it's very important we see that there's nothing wrong with looking up to man, okay? But only through Christ, okay? We cannot look to them, and they're the Savior of all. They have the answers to all. Um, I believe exactly what they say because I trust them. We have to be good Bereans, right? Yes, with teaching, and yes, with discipleship. There, you gain that confidence, and so you don't have to be a pastor, an elder, a deacon to uh, um, have this role. As a Christian, actually, you should look to the right of you, the left of you, or behind you, and see who is following you, and this is you. You are this example. Do not take advantage of this situation. People are looking up to you. But teach them that you run the race together and that when you or they stumble, you are there to pick each other up and continue running the race. And so... Again, that's what we see here. And I just want to make that very clear that sometimes we, 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 we say that we cannot follow men, but I think there are men and women out there who are examples of Christ-mindedness. And Paul himself, you know, uh, says, be imitators of me. Okay? So, here in the text, let's go back to our text, go back to Philippians <clears throat> Oops. I got this Bible with the tabs in it. I've never had one in my whole life, and that confuses me every time. Okay. So, <clears throat> now let's go to our text here. <clears throat> so, we see three examples of men exhibiting the mind of Christ. Let's go ahead and read verses 17 through 30. We'll go through 17 through 30 today. So 17 and 18 will speak of Paul, 19 through 24 of Timothy, and then 25 through 30 of Epaphroditus. Let's begin. 
says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of, of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I evaluate my own circumstances. I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I, re- but I regarded it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold him, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray real quick. Lord God, we just thank you for today. Lord, I pray that um, we're able to see clearly, Lord, the example of these three men, Lord, and um, I pray, Lord, that you be with me to teach, Lord, in a way that everybody can understand. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for today, and I just thank you for um, just the many examples that all of us have had in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so let's start in verse 17. All right, so, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. The Apostle Paul uses an amazing illustration here. It describes both the service of the Philippians and that of himself. This picture of a drink offering can be understood from both the Jewish and pagan perspectives, okay? If we look at, don't turn there, but if we look at Leviticus 23, uh, verses 18 and 37, we see that Israel had drink offerings. Uh, Craig uh, Keener in his commentary says that other ancient religions also regularly poured out libations, which is another word for drink offerings, uh, to other gods, usually wine, but sometimes water, other substances. Gentiles also poured uh, libations at the beginning of banquets and could pour them in memory of a person who had died. Paul is being poured out as such a drink offering to, uh, to, he tr- uh, to a true God, right? A willing offering on their behalf that joined their own sacrifice. So we see Paul here humbling himself. He claims to just only be the drink offering, while the Philippian sacrifice, if you look at the text, says, while the Philippian sacrifice and service of their faith is the greater sacrifice. So Paul would be willing to die for the sacrifice and service of their faith. Even though they are both laying down their lives for the gospel, Paul is minimizing his for their sake. Paul magnified 
the, uh, the, what the Philippians were doing in order to make his work less, okay? So Paul was just the drink, but theirs was the true sacrifice. His was just the offering, okay? But their service and their um, works were the sacrifice. So Paul was happy to do so. He says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul is being an example of Christ. You know, the same example that Christ gave to us in verse 7. It says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. This is Christ, right? He emptied himself just like Paul is going to make himself a drink offering, right? He is living an example of Christ's likeness here. He is putting them before himself, And it says in verse 18, it says, And you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. It says, Remember, this is the last letter Paul writes. He knows his time is coming very soon. So he tells the Philippians to rejoice as, <clears throat> as he has for them. One commentator, he says that Paul is speaking of his near future death. They should not look on his possible martyrdom as a tragedy, but congratulate him on such a glorious homecoming. Um, so Paul, in these two verses, is giving us an example of self-sacrificing love. He is willing to pour out his life for the Philippians, even unto death. Okay, we will see two more selfless examples here pretty soon. But you see, Paul is showing us a life of self selflessness. Okay? We go back in to our text now. We look at verse 19. <clears throat> so this is new territory for us. We ended last time on verse 18. So I'll slow down a little bit here at verse 19 and we'll continue our text here. So verse 19 says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I can also, so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. So here Paul is hoping to send Timothy soon to the Philippians. You know, he wants to get a report back with what the Lord is doing so that he may be in good spirit and also to deal with the issues that they were currently having. They were having issues there, and he was wanting to send Timothy. Now, who is Timothy? So Timothy was one of the better known of Paul's companions. His mother and his grandmother, both modern Jewish women, were named in 2 Timothy 1.5. His father was a Greek. We see that in Acts 16.1. But since he apparently died when Timothy was quite young, the boy was raised by his godly mother and grandmother who gave him a good working knowledge of the Old Testament. We see that in 2 Timothy 3.15. Timothy was Paul's child in the faith and seems to have been converted at the time of Paul's first missionary visit to Lystra and Iconium. When Paul chose Timothy to be one of his companions on his second missionary journey, the apostle circumcised him to make him more acceptable to the Jews. Paul always approached the synagogue uh, congregation first when he entered a new town. Timothy was with Paul at Philippi, Thessalonica, Thessalonica (laughs) and Berea, but stayed behind at Berea with Silas when Paul went on to Athens. When Timothy joined Paul at Athens, the apostle immediately dispatched him to Thessalonica, rejoining Paul at Corinth. Timothy brought good news about the young Thessalonian church. Uh, 
And then on the third missionary journey, he was with Paul during his long stay at Ephesus. Then Paul sent him to Macedonia and Corinth, since his name appears in the, in the letter Paul wrote to the Romans for the Corinth, from Corinth. And that's in Romans 16.21. We know that Timothy was with Paul when the apostle returned to Corinth himself. As Paul started out for Asia and Jerusalem via Macedonia, Timothy was one of those who went ahead to wait for the apostle at Traus. Okay, so we see that Timothy was a, was a uh, or Paul was his mentor, right? He was a father to the young Timothy. He brought him under his wing, and we see discipleship here, not just in the things of the Lord, but his, his parents, his mom and, and grandmother taught him the truth of God's word, but Paul showed him and mentored him how to be a leader in the church, a leader as a Christian. He gave him the application side of it. This is what you call true discipleship, when you can walk along, alongside each other and disciple them and live through life, um, learning and teaching each other God's truth as life scenarios come at you, right? So we have also two outside resources that talk about Timothy. There's one by the, uh, gentleman by the name of uh, Eusebius, and he said that Timothy was the first bishop of Ephesus. There's another gentleman by the name of uh, Nicephorus. He said Timothy was clubbed to death at a feast of Diana for denouncing the licentiousness, which is someone who lacks legal or moral restraint. Okay, So we see Timothy is, is not known just in the Bible, but he is also known in other writings outside of the Scripture. <clears throat> Very interesting. And even in those testimonies, he there was nothing negative to say about who he was um verse 20 it says for i have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned about your circumstances <clears throat> men who think like paul are rare in any age okay his passion for the spiritual needs needs of others was like no other so evidently in all of rome paul could not find a single believer that he could send to philippi Okay, so he's like, there's nobody, there's no one else. And the kindred spirit, the light-mindedness, the same-mindedness, okay? There's nobody else out there except for Timothy. And obviously, because if Paul trained him, then he, uh, Timothy is going to be exactly what Paul is looking for, right? So <clears throat> Paul found in Timothy someone who was like-minded, obviously, because he trained him. Timothy was spiritually gifted, and I'm sure he was ready to go because Paul kind of used him where he needed him. He would kind of establish the church. I would call him kind of like the church planner. Paul would go evangelize, create a group of people, and Timothy would stay behind and build the church and then move forward. Um, Paul had confidence in him. This is a high commendation for the young Timothy. He was a young gentleman, and for the apostle Paul to see this in him was a high commendation for him. So also Paul knew that Timothy would have the same sympathy for the Philippians like he would. Paul was always concerned about the local churches, and Timothy shared with that same burden as you see them ministering together. Okay, so they were great shepherds. They had a passion for the people, and they always uh, stayed back to establish the truth and then uh, build uh, leaders and then move forward. And so very interesting there. Um, verse 21, it says, For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. 
So it seems like there were some that were consumed with their own personal interests. Okay? They had been maybe consumed with the cares of life and have no, maybe had no time for the things that are of Christ. If we take a look, let's turn, just hold your spot there. And let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. So he says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And then now let's go to Luke 8. It's a parable of the sower. <clears throat> it says, And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life and do not bear ripe fruit. Ripe fruit. This is who Paul is talking about here. This is what we're seeing. Okay? But what about us? Are we distracted within the things of the world? Are our priorities backwards? Are we found with these people that Paul is talking about? He says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So it's just a challenge to us, right? So are our priorities backwards? Now bring this up just to challenge us, right? Just for something, something for us to think about. Where are our priorities, right? I, challenge, I get challenged with this every day of my life as I wake up and start my day and try to do wear multiple hats throughout the week I struggle with this and sometimes I wonder if maybe um, I need to reprioritize my life as well so anyways this is something I struggle with so it's fresh in my heart so if it's in mine I bet it may be in yours but uh, just think about that very interesting um, that Paul says for they all seek after their, he's looking for somebody to do the work but he said that all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus okay all right, so let's go back to Philippians now. Just wanted to wake you up with that. <laughs> if you don't leave here convicted that I didn't do my job, so. <laughs> All right, verse 22. It says, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me and the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy was the apostle Paul's spiritual child, as we've already mentioned, he was faithful. He was real. He loved Paul probably like his own father. because He says he served him like his father. I know that I've gained a, uh, uh, an amazing relationship with my mentors in the past and really looked up to them and loved them in a different way that maybe even I loved my own father just because you know, they weren't my father, but I had a, a high level of, of, uh, of care for them. Um, also, he had proven his character over time okay so Paul got to see him I mean there's another opposite that I can think of as Barnabas okay Barnabas went with them as well on some of these journeys and he got mad at Barnabas he chewed him out they had an argument he sent him back and then uh, Peter pulls Barnabas under his wing and begins to mentor him okay and so here though we see Timothy he's faithful true and he's uh, he's been with Paul throughout his whole pretty much almost his whole ministry, at least two-thirds of it. <clears throat> so he says, therefore, no, I'm sorry, he served Paul like his son, serves his father. He served with Paul as a preacher of the gospel, he says. He says that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. 
<clears throat> and then Timothy did not seek after his own interest. And because of this, we look at verse 23. It says, Therefore, I hope to send him immediately. As soon as I evaluate my own circumstances, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be come, coming shortly. Paul hoped to send him to the Philippians as soon as he learned the outcome of his appeal to Caesar. Okay, He's getting ready to appeal to Caesar. He hopes that his appeal will be successful and that he will be set free so that he might visit the Philippians once more. Okay, This is possibly what Paul is thinking in his mind because I don't think Timothy ever made it there. <clears throat> Next, we see the mind of Christ in Epaphroditus. Okay, we are not sure if this is the same man of Colossians 4.12, but some commentators think that it is. Um, this guy lived in Philippi and was a messenger for the church there. Okay, so remember, he came from the church. He's not sending them to the church. This man actually came from the church. Verse 25, he says, But I regarded it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister, okay, your messenger and minister to my need. Okay, Paul speaks of him as first, my brother. Second, he talks about him as my fellow worker. Third, as my fellow soldier. Okay, the brother part speaks of affection. Then the second, we see that he's a hard worker. And then the third um, <clears throat> of conflict, right? He can handle conflict. He can stand his ground. He is a true fighter of the truth. He is a soldier, his fellow soldier. He was a man that could work with others. And this is certainly a great essential in the Christian life, right? And service. We need to be able to adapt, work with others, and serve each other. And then serve even those who do not believe so that they can see Christ in us. Okay, it is one thing for a uh, believer to work independently. Okay, we can work independent and do our own little ministries, be in our own little silos. But here, this gentleman is open-minded because they work together, and it's not a one-man show. So we see that he is my fellow worker. Okay, and uh, again, this is the necessity. This is the body of Christ, even at work in our just typical everyday life outside of the biblical lifestyle um it takes many of us to make it happen when you begin a, a business you start out by yourself and eventually you find out that you can't do it all you begin to hire people move forward and grow it out right so even here even uh, in 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 the world we have to have help but here paul is looking at him as my fellow worker okay they work together and it's not a one-man show Paul also mentions him in the text. He says, as your messenger and the one who ministers to my need. This gives us another insight into the, his personality. <clears throat> he was willing to, to do common or simple tasks. Many Christians today only want to do the work that will make them look good. Okay, uh, Maybe they'll get all the attention, put them in the spotlight, and that's what they want, right? Um, or they want to do the easy work. So I can just, hey get her done and get out of here right and there's nobody there's hard a lot there's uh, not a whole lot of people who want to stay behind and do the hard things and or stay behind and do the things and hide away so there's no credit given to you 
You know, it's hard to find those kinds of people. But Epaphroditus was that kind of guy. At work, <clears throat> I'm always thankful for those who carry on the routine work, right? Quietly and contentfully. I can, um, I have to pay attention all the time to my people at work because the way we train them and teach them about humility and, and integrity and uh, having values and moral values and uh, I have to pay attention to what they do every day. I have to listen to the small things because we have taught them humility. And um, they, they know just to go do their job, and they know that we are paying attention. And I try not to overlook these things because they know that that's important to me. And these are qualities that I'm trying to instill in those who work under me at work because it reflects Christ. They don't know that, but it reflects Christ, and they take this home and they begin to teach these moral concepts about Christ to their family. And so uh, I'm thankful for that and for the men under me who lead these concepts of, of mine. And uh, they've made them their own as well. So I've seen this even in the local workforce, even around me. Uh, by doing the hard work, Epaphroditus humbled himself. But God exalted him by recording um, this is pretty interesting here. That God exalted him by recording his faithful service here in Philippians for all future generations to read. Isn't that amazing? The man that's trying to hide under the rug is now the example for all of us and future generations. Um, so really cool about Epaphroditus. Um, and Well, we'll look in a minute. I'll talk about it. Um, verse 26, he says, Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, he was trying to hide that he was sick. When he went from the Philippians or the Philippi to um, Rome, it's about a 700-mile journey. Okay? The Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to help Paul, which was about 700 miles. During this time, Epaphroditus got sick and he almost died. He was, <clears throat> he was worried that the church would feel bad because they had sent him, right? And I don't know if because he was older. I have no idea why he got sick, but it was a hard trip for him. And that's all we know, okay? So he was trying to kind of keep it on the down low, right? But they ended up finding out that he was sick. So now he was kind of worried about it. Then verse 27 says, For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. Okay? He drove right by the Carlsbad Hospital and didn't want to go in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he kept going. No, I'm just kidding. He went to Artesian. Just kidding. That's what, that's what I did. <laughs> For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, Paul says, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. The text is important. It helps us shed a light on the divine healing. <clears throat> so we see that Epaphroditus had been sick, right, almost near to death, but God had mercy on him. I want to slow down just a little bit you guys, if you guys know where I come from, my background, um, this is a, because this is the last epistle written, I want to just give you a quick thought to think about, about divine healing here. It's a very crucial text. Uh, this verse is uh, valuable to us for the light it sheds on the subject of divine healing, okay? So here are three quick points to think about in the verse 20, from verse 27. Real quick, maybe four points. First of all, it says sickness is not always the result of sin. There were some in the Old Testament who said, hey, isn't this guy sick because his parents sinned or because they sinned? No, it's not. Because here is a man who was sick because of the faithful discharge of his duties. 
If we look at verse 30, he says that he was close to death for the work of Christ. Okay? He wore himself out for the work of Christ. He pushed himself and he got sick. He got fatigued. Okay? So second, we learn that it is not, not always God's will to heal instantly or miraculously. Okay? Now, I don't believe today that they're the gift of healings. Now, there may be other teachers in our church, and I respect their decisions that may not believe this. I do not believe that God, um, that there are gifts of healing in the church. Now, I do believe that if I pray to God for your healing, that God can choose to heal you or not. Okay? I do believe in, in the miracle of prayer. In fact, I see it every day when people get saved. That is a miracle. Okay? God answering somebody's prayer to be saved. But I don't believe that the gift of healing as, as a gift in the church still exists today. I believe that is part of the sign gifts. You see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the part of the signs, wonders, and miracles. So <clears throat> again, uh, um, we learn that God doesn't always heal instantly or miraculously. It appears that Epaphroditus' illness was prolonged and his recovery was gradual. Okay, So we see you know, I was sick Saturday, and my healing was gradually um, uh, getting better. Right? I was gradually getting better, recovering over time. I'm sure some of you prayed for me that the Lord would heal me and help me out, and he did. But I'm having the same experience that Epaphroditus had. God chose not to heal me instantly, but because of the way he designed the body and the way he worked, uh, I am still being healed by his grace and his mercy, right? Um, <clears throat> It appears that Epaphroditus' illness was prolonged and his recovery was gradual. And then thirdly, we learn that healing is a mercy from God and not something we can demand from him as being our right. We see that with these televangelists. We see that with people trying to demand this, right, and and claim it and and name it, and that's just unbiblical. That is not what God, uh, the example God has given us in Scripture. So again, we do not demand it. God, this is his grace. I mean, this is a mercy from God. We see that here in the text. Um, so, but God had mercy on him, verse 27, and not on him only, but also on me. So we see healing is a mercy from God. God does not have to heal us. Okay, in fact, who was sitting there next to him? What gentleman are we talking about here? The Apostle Paul. Didn't he have that gift of healing? Yeah, but it was only for a certain time a certain place it was used only for certain reasons okay this did not fit that so it was not used and maybe by then this gift was already gone if you look at it chronologically over time but Paul was there and he didn't heal him right so there's something to think about just again free nuggets I thought that was very interesting that text there and I just wanted to to share that with you guys so God not only had mercy on Epaphroditus but on Paul as well Paul had already had a considerable amount of grief due to his imprisonment. If Epaphroditus had died, he would have had an additional sorrow, right? Because he had a need, and they sent Epaphroditus to go help Paul. And if he would have passed away, he would have felt worse, right? He would have felt really bad. And so that's what he's saying, that verse 27, For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. The Lord is merciful to them both. We look at verse 28. It says, Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned. 
Now that, now that Epaphroditus had recovered, Paul sends him back to Philippi. Okay, I'm sure they will rejoice when they see their brother back home again, right? This will also give Paul comfort that he made it there, that he's back with his people. <clears throat> and that way he'll be less concerned. They contend to him, right? We go back to, we go to verse 29. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. So we too should hold those who are doing the work of the Lord in high regard. We should receive them like they did Epaphroditus, joyfully, even if we are familiar with them, even if we know them, but they are doing the work of the Lord, we should receive them joyfully, okay? It is a great privilege to be engaged in the service of the Lord. So we too should be joyful when we have people come visit our church, people who are doing different ministries, and we should be joyful and we should um, um, be excited for them. Just like when we go to other places, people are excited that we are there to serve alongside them. So receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Now let's look at our last verse here. It says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus risked his life for the service of Christ. We should seek after the Lord and his work always. One commentator says, it is, this is pretty interesting. He said, it is better to burn out for Christ than to rust out. I thought that was pretty cool. It is better to burn out than to rust out. <clears throat> so Epaphroditus was able to fulfill for them what they needed him to do, even though it almost cost him his life. Is that what we do today? Do we fulfill our need or the need of the, of the church, the need of Christ, even if it almost costs us our life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for um, um, just these three examples of men that you've given to us today and, and those others that we talked about, Lord, in Hebrews and, and in Corinthians, Lord. And um, I just want to thank you, Lord, for um, just the examples of, of uh, men and women, Lord, who have seeked after you. I pray that one day, Lord, that... Um, that uh, we get a standing ovation, Lord, as, as you do with Stephen when we walk into heaven, Lord. I pray that we fight the fight, that we run the race, and uh, we do it all, Lord, to glorify you and to honor you, and that we don't seek after our own desires, the things of this world. I pray, Lord, that you help us to prioritize the things of our lives, and I pray, Lord, that um, you just give us opportunities um, to live a life uh, or, or, or help us to live a life that we have opportunities that people can see and question our faith, Lord, in a way that draws them to you, Lord. We just thank you. We love you for all that you do in our lives, and we give you all the glory. We thank you for the mercies that you've given to us all. We pray in your name. Amen.